Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So there's a lot that we could talk about today. You're on Fresh Thinking, and there's always a lot to talk about. But uh, we might jump around from one topic to the next, depending on what your feedback is. No question that this week there has been one topic that has dominated all the rest here in the Johannesburg Jewish community, and that is the topic of kashrut. And uh, there's there's quite a lot swimming around in my head on that topic. I'm sure that you have thoughts as well. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. So right up front, I'd like to invite your comment and insight. Um, and, and I'm going to frame it like this. I think that... Um, we're very quick to pass judgments, and I wonder if maybe sometimes we run into these things headlong, and it's not necessarily that healthy for us. That's part of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about kashrut because it's in the air. We're going to talk about uh, accusations that fly around before we ne- necessarily know all the facts and um what kind of responsibility do we have as individuals within the community before we start naming and shaming? So I think there's a lot of different angles and diversity on this one. Let's hear what it is that you have to say at any point during the course of the conversation. Three, four, five, one, nine, if you're going to SMS in. Otherwise, uh, WhatsApp. 0618951019 and there is already commentary on social media that's where a lot of this commentary has been happening so you can join that too at chayfm or at rabbi Shish. that's what we're going to be talking about today you can get your thinking caps on and uh, let's hear what it is that you've got on your mind join rabbi ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 high fm 101.9 megahertz of power so, as I was uh, just mentioning in very broad and general terms, you know, there's uh, everywhere that I've gone this whole week, and I'm sure that it's been the same for you when I say this whole week. It's been a week, exactly. One week ago was Purim, and I think that that's when most people started to discuss all the scandal and Skinner and accusations and counter-accusations and theories and conspiracies about what on earth happened and uh, I'm talking specifically, of course, about a story with a kosher caterer and, uh, and the exposure of the fact that there may have been, well, not that there may have been, that there was non-kosher food found at a kosher caterer. And the first thing that came to my mind, to be honest, when this whole thing came up, and I saw somebody send a WhatsApp about it the next day, which I thought was uh, to the point, was a story. A story of the Baal Shem Tov, of course, the founder of the Hasidic movement. And uh, the story doesn't relate to him directly. It relates to students of his who, on a particular occasion, were at a an inn. They were staying at an inn overnight. And when they arrived over there, they started to grill the innkeeper about the standards of the kashrut at the inn. They wanted to know, where, you know, who slaughters the meat and who checks it and who makes sure that it's kosher and who kashas it. All the various stories and questions and details that they wanted to know, which is absolutely correct. I mean, you know, the, the food that we eat is an integral part of our experience of, of being Jewish. And that's why we make such a big fuss about it. Then what happened next was they sat down to eat, satisfied, of course, that the kashrut standards were to their satisfaction. They sat down to eat, and it, during the course of their conversation, they started to talk about this one and about that one. And in short order, there was a person sitting not too far from where they were, and he approached the table and he said, I noticed that you are so scrupulous about the level, the standard of what enters your mouth but why are you not equally scrupulous about the standard and level of what leaves your mouth? 
And I, I just wonder sometimes if, I mean, there's no question about it, having a breach in our kosher system, the possibility that perhaps there was somebody who knowingly allowed non-kosher food into a kosher environment is scandalous, absolutely. And people are undoubtedly enraged and sickened, I think. You know, if, you, if you're dedicated to keeping kosher and then you discover that food that you ate was non-kosher, that it, that's a, it's a horrible feeling. It's an absolutely horrible feeling. At the same time, I wonder if we just rush too quickly into our analysis, opinions, sharing opinions. Uh, quite frankly, I must say there are a bunch of memes that have been shared around which people believe are humorous. And, I, and personally, I, I don't believe that they're humorous at all. I think, I think they're in really bad taste. Excuse the pun, of course, seeing as we're talking about food and, and kashrut and all that kind of thing. So I wonder if these Incidents happen sometimes within our community just to test us on multiple levels. And one of those tests being about, well, how will we react? What will we say? What will our response be? Do you add negativity to negativity? And I think there's a great danger in that happening. So I'm curious if you agree with that or if you think perhaps that we have every right to stand up and say what we feel in every particular forum that might be available to us, starting at the Friday night table and ending in social media or whatever. Or do you think that maybe, hang on a second, we should be a little bit more circumspect and say it's all very well to point accusatory fingers at somebody else, but... Perhaps we need to also rein ourselves in and say, it's actually not my job. It's actually not my job to go around uh, giving my personal analysis about a story, no matter how much that story affects and impacts all of us. So maybe you've got a thought, uh, maybe you've got a very strong opinion on that. Three, four, five, one, nine, if you're going to uh, SMS in. Or WhatsApp number being 0618951019. As I said, there, there are a few comments that have already taken place on social media at Chai FM, at Ravashish. Uh, not all of them are the kind of things that I'd like to share. To be perfectly honest, uh, there's definitely a lot of outrage and there are a lot of people who have very, very strong opinions. It's not the first time. And uh, it's probably not going to be the last time where we as a community have rushed in to pass comment on a situation even before all the facts are revealed. And I know that there's a very recent letter that's come out from the Beth Din today, which perhaps gives us a bit more of a clear picture as to what the processes are, what's happening next. Uh, the Beth Din saying that they'll take responsibility for upgrading the, the Kashrut processes, but potentially might take uh, legal action as well. I mean, so it's really interesting stuff. But the fact matter is we still don't really have a clear picture of the facts on the ground. Now, we know we know that within Judaism, there's a tremendous emphasis that is put on guarding your tongue. And even in, in, in the secular world, you can't make an allegation without having facts to support that allegation. I mean, we have to be really careful, I think, because while while, of course, there is anger and upset and frustration and dismay and cynicism and all the other wonderful experiences that people are going through at this time, let's think of it just for a moment from a slightly different perspective. One of the things that Kashrut does, one of the many things that it does, and, and, and that's why I'd like to talk about, and maybe even I should throw that out as a question to you, what to you would be the uh, the things, if you had to make a list of two or three things that Kashrut does for you, what would those things be? And, and not not now inviting all the cynical remarks about making life more expensive or that kind of thing. Just simply in terms of the benefits. What are the benefits that uh, Kashrut brings us? I think one of the benefits, and perhaps you could think of others, one of the benefits is a sense 
of unity. Unity in the sense that I know here I am in Joburg. If I go down to Cape Town, I know that my fellow Jewish community member in Cape Town is eating the same kind of food that I'm eating. That uh, we look out for the same symbols on the packaging to ensure that the food is kosher. We can sit together and be social together because we know we can rely on the standard of food because we subscribe to the same principles of what is or is not considered acceptable to eat. So we can sit around the table because I know that you can show me that the food that you're serving is kosher to the standard of the food that I would eat. And it can actually bring us all together. So it would be terribly ironic if around the story of Kashrut, which is something that has potential to bring us to a great sense of unity, if that should turn into something which is a source of division. Now, I do know that there are many people who are going to say, well, that's exactly how it is in other places in the world. And the, the whole Kashrut system is not centralized in most places in the world, as we are fortunate to have over here. So maybe you'll argue that there is already a sense of uh, diversity and maybe even worse than diversity, maybe even conflict around kosher certification. I'm not talking about that. I'm not really interested in the scenario right now about what happens to the rest of the world. Let's talk about here. We're quite a united community. And we have centralized leadership and we have centralized um, certification of our kosher products. And I'm sure people have views on that too. But the the, the sting in the tail, the, the trap almost every single time that something happens within our community that is negative, one of the great traps is that it provides the opportunity to split our community, to split a, a community that is literally the envy of Jewish communities all around the world. Just just before coming to studio, I was listening to some of the guests who are here for, for the Sinai Daba, which is uh, this coming Saturday night and Sunday, and uh, looks like it's going to be a really powerful and whopper program. Some great speakers lined up. So I was listening to, to you know some of these speakers that come from various places, from the States, from Israel, from Australia, and how they were commenting on the unique unity that exists within this South African Jewish community. And then you have an upset, which is going to happen. It's, it's going to happen in communities. We're not the first place in the world that's ever had a problem with the non-kosher food finding its way into the kosher system. In fact, it's not even the first time that it's happened here locally, I'm sure. I'm sure we can recall that there must have been other incidents, perhaps not at this scale or perhaps not with this much shock value, I'll never forget as a kid in primary school, there was this really delicious brand of chips that appeared in our tuck shop for a few days that ostensibly was kosher and then very swiftly was withdrawn a few days later because, oops, it was an accident and it actually was never kosher. I mean, these things happen. You can assume that whether it's due to malice or whether it's due to poor management or whether it's due to somebody trying to sabotage a system or whether people are just simply taking advantage, whatever it is, that kind of thing is going to there are going to be slip-ups in the system and it's not only going to be in the world of kashrut it's going to be in the world of running shuls and it's going to be in the what happens with the chev and who knows i mean everybody somewhere along the way is going to find something that's imperfect the trap is how we respond to it i believe that really strongly that the trap is not to allow something which is inherently a bad thing it's a train smash it is a train smash and it affects all of us because all of us have eaten most likely, from the catering question. So it's big. It's a big story. But I don't believe that that gives us license to say, well, it's affected me, therefore I should go on and perpetuate the negativity around it. And, and it's, a, it's a trap. It's, it's an easy 
um, an easy bait for us. Let's get into the conversation. Let's talk about it every single day. Let's point fingers. Let's scoop up uh, the, the fabrications. I'm sure that are doing the rounds. There's, there have to be all kinds. Maybe some of the information that's going around is accurate, but I'm sure there's all kinds of information that's going around that's not necessarily accurate. And that's, that's not on. It's not allowed according to Judaism. You know, one of the worst things that a person could do verbally, we're told, is Loshan Hora. Loshan Hora is where you spread information about somebody that's true. It's negative, but it's true. And that's not allowed. So that means to say that even if I know information about this particular story, well, if I know information, then I should approach the Betin and I should share that information with them because then it's productive. Then it's for the sake of ensuring that these kind of things don't repeat and ensuring that whoever is responsible is taken to task. That kind of responsibility I have. But just to share the thing I heard from a friend who heard it from someone who thinks they know a person who's a contact, who was aware of what was going on, and I'm going to share it with you. Why? Because it's attractive to be the person who's got the latest, hottest insight, insider trading on what's going on. That's that's just not on. It's not on. That's classified as Lush and Hora. And then worse than that is when it becomes what we call Moitzi Shemra, which is where you start to share things that are not verified, where you share information that is inflammatory or um, allegations that are unfounded. That's that's the kind of thing that destroys people, destroys lives, destroys systems. You know, we got we got to be careful. So I feel that the, there's a trap when when there's a hot potato topic within the community, that the the trap over there is not to become those people who are just churning out all the dirt related to that particular story. Uh, unless, again, unless you've got something pragmatic that you could do about it, maybe you're in a position, maybe you, you have the ear of the Beth Din, maybe you have information that could be relevant to them uh, in order to improve systems or in order to avoid these kinds of things happening again, then, then by all means. But then that's information for the powers that be, for the people who are directly involved in cleaning up the mess or ensuring that a mess doesn't happen again in the future. It's, it's not table talk. <laughs> Tempting as it might be So I, I really think back to that story Of those uh, people sitting in the inn And the fellow who comes over to them and says Well you're so careful about the standard of what enters your mouth Are you as careful about the standards Of what comes out of your mouth It's a, it's a really profound thought And it's, uh, it's something which Could easily uh, affect And relate to all of us So I'm sure people have views on that I'm sure people have views on this story generally. We've got somebody on the line. Hi, who am I speaking to? Hello. Oh, it's not, Hello. A very, not a very good line. Let's try that again. Hi. Hello, Keith Cross speaking. I just want to compliment you. You make an excellent defense attorney. <laughs> okay. Is that is that a compliment or is it a veiled compliment? <laughs> you make an excellent Defense attorney for the accused. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was I was hoping that we'd get a, a little bit more a little bit more insight. I, my my intention over here is not to attack or defend. I think it's just to be circumspect about how we go around behaving when we've been hurt. 
And uh, I, I certainly feel hurt, and I'm sure many other people do too, because we trust. We trust people. We trust brands. We trust systems. And then they let us down, and it's incredibly tempting to use that as an opportunity to spit out all our frustration into the public space, and uh, I don't think that's what we should be doing right now. But you may have a different view, so please, by all means, 34519 if you've got a, a thought. And uh, you see that? You can even phone in. We actually do answer the phones. So uh, what what number are we using? The 074 number, right? Not the 074. Oh, there, new studio number. 010-140-3020. We've got to get rid of the old number over here. So it's 010-140-3020. A lot of O's in that. Or you could WhatsApp 061-895-1019. Let's get this conversation started. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, yes, I do think that it's a topic that maybe people are afraid to address in case they run away with themselves because there's a lot of emotion around it. And I'm talking, of course, about the topic that has dominated all topics in the Jewish community, at least here in Joburg. Although, interestingly enough, I spoke to somebody yesterday in Cape Town and they were like, I, 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 I don't know what, what, what's everybody talking about? <laughs> they were completely out of the loop, which is probably good. It's nice to uh, try and keep scandal contained to a certain extent. Uh, not to the extent, of course, that it doesn't get addressed. That's that's never useful. But um, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, kosher food and the kosher industry. And when things go sour and suddenly you discover that there's non-kosher food in your kosher production environment and you feel betrayed or you feel hurt or you feel attacked or you feel that somebody is uh, really – maybe just didn't take it seriously enough. Maybe they don't care for the same spiritual principles that you care for and you feel sabotaged. So my point is, I definitely think by all means that there has to, the, a breach has to be addressed. Those who have the power to do so, that means both people who might be aware of information that is relevant and those who run those departments, the kashrut department, the uh, whatever other elements come into a kosher production facility. Everybody's got to pull up their bootstraps clearly, make sure that this kind of a breach doesn't happen. We learn from mistakes. But we as a community, I think, uh, need to be really, really careful of running around and sending out like very distasteful so-called jokes and spewing all our vitriol on, on social media. I don't see the I don't see the value. I don't see the point, and I don't believe it's a Jewish approach. But as I say, you may have a different opinion. You may feel very strongly about this, in which case I'd welcome perspectives and opinions because I think it's uh, it's important to have that kind of open discussion. When we were in yeshiva, I remember very often the topic would come up about teshuva, and. I think it's an important topic to incorporate into this particular discussion. One thing is absolutely sure, absolutely, and that is to sit and point fingers at whoever was involved and should have done a better job of protecting us, whatever that means, whether it's the caterers or the kosher supervisor, whatever, doesn't help me deal with the fact that I, let's say I'm a kosher observant Jew. In other words, I care about these things. In other words, I'm really careful about what I eat and and it, I take it very seriously should something enter into my space that's not kosher and I inadvertently eat it. Well, then there's another whole chapter to the story, which is the what do I do about it? And that's the teshuva element, which to me is where the energy should be. What, so what are we going to do? How do I fix this 
I don't know how many times that I was exposed possibly to eating non-kosher thinking it was kosher. So what are, what's, the, what's the spiritual implication? How does that – what does it do for me and how do I fix it? That's an incredibly important part of this conversation. Now, I certainly don't believe that I fix it by engendering negativity, by speaking just for the sake of voicing an opinion. So when we were in Yeshiva, as I say, there were many conversations often around this topic of Teshuvah. And I remember one in particular that was a bit odd. When, I th- when you think about it, maybe it's not as odd as it appears. And be- by, by way of introduction, let's say this. There are two kinds of stories for which a person has to do Teshuvah. In other words, there's two situations for which a person has to do some kind of spiritual repair for spiritual damage done. The one situation would be where you consciously did what was wrong. So a person, for example, knows that such and such food shouldn't be eaten. And they typically would not have eaten that food. But for one reason or another, they decide, today I'm having an off day or I don't know if I still believe in this stuff or I'm going to rebel. God did something that upset me, so now I'm going to do something to, so to speak, upset him or whatever the motivation is. The point is, if a person does something consciously, that's one kind of repair work that's necessary because the problem obviously lies within me. Not only am I the affected party, but the problem lies within me because I'm the person who was... uh, open and willing to actually do this thing. Then there's another scenario, and that's where something happened to me, and I I had absolutely no interest, no consciousness, no awareness. It, It just happened. And often people will say, well, you couldn't have helped it. Why do you feel the need to do some kind of spiritual repair work? It was out of your hands. Something happened. It was inadvertent. It was an accident. It was a mistake or whatever the case is. Now, there's two different ways, right? There's two different ways that we can end up in a bad situation. I could be a conscious perpetrator or I could be an accidental I don't even know if you can word, use the word perpetrator. Uh, an, an accidentally involved person. I don't know if that really works grammatically, but you get the idea. And the response surely would be a different kind of a response. But first of all, we have to acknowledge that regardless of whether I intended or did not intend to do something which is spiritually damaging to myself, I have to do repair work. Meaning to say, I believe that uh, there's a whole movement right now about introducing new laws around smoking. And the laws around smoking, one of the big motivating factors about why they want to further limit smoking, which personally I think is a really good thing, very in favor of it. Maybe uh, certain newspapers don't believe that Jews would be in favor of banning smoking based on uh, publications that came out this past week. Um, but the the reality is that definitely, definitely we should encourage that if a person wants to smoke, their business, but keep it away from me. And one of the motivations behind why they want to change the smoking laws or make it more difficult to be able to smoke around people or to make it more graphic on the branding that smoking is so terrible is because at the end of the day, whether you want to or not, if you are in an environment where there is secondhand smoke, whether it's your intention or it's not your intention, fact is that smoke's going to enter into your system. And if a person is exposed to secondhand smoke on a regular basis, then they can't afterwards go to the doctor and say, doctor, it's unfair that I have respiratory problems because I never chose to smoke. It doesn't matter. So, yes, you can blame somebody else and get like really angry at them. Fact of the matter is you've got the respiratory problem and you've got to deal with that respiratory problem. 
It's the same kind of concept with an inadvertent transgression. I didn't intend to do it. I've always been somebody who wants to keep kosher. I never intended to eat food that was not kosher. It's not my fault. Somebody else put that food on my plate, pretended to me that it was kosher, or maybe they themselves believed it was kosher, and somebody else was pulling the wool over their eyes. I don't know. But that food landed up on my plate. It's not kosher. Now it's in my system. I can't turn around and say, well, it wasn't my fault, therefore it hasn't affected me. To us, in the Jewish world, in this exact same way as there's a physical repercussion for a physical action, we believe equally that there is a spiritual repercussion for a physical action, certainly for a spiritual action, but even for a physical action, regardless of whether that action was intentional or not, just like the secondhand smoke. So if I've inadvertently eaten something which is not kosher, the focus should not be on that person. That smoker, they're killing me. I mean, you can. You can decide that that's where you want to post your anger. It's not going to make you get better. In the same way, we could be all angry at whoever we choose to be. We could be angry at a caterer. We could be angry at the kosher supervisors. At the end of the day, our focus primarily should be on, so what do I do to get so-called spiritually better? If I believe in this stuff and I believe that kosher food impacts my soul and non-kosher food impacts my soul in a different way, then that means that I've been somehow breached and contaminated and the energy should be there. What am I going to do to fix that? How am I going to repair this thing? So, I don't know. Got any suggestions? What do you do? How do you fix it? Love to hear what people think. This hopefully will be a lot less controversial than telling me what you think about what happened. How do you think we could fix it? How do you think a person goes about repairing the spiritual damage that has happened to their system because they've been exposed to spiritually toxic material? What do you think about that? 34519 if you want to SMS in. It's 29 minutes to 3 o'clock if you've just joined. It's Rabbi Ari Shishler here on Fresh Thinking talking about kosher scandals, but not about the scandal. Um, because everybody else is talking about that, so you don't need me. But more about the what do we do next. You're a person who wanted to only eat kosher in your life. You feel now that you might have inadvertently eaten non-kosher. Is the correct response, A, get all angry at everybody else for not looking after you to make sure that you only ate kosher food, or B, find something that you could do that is spiritually meaningful that could cleanse that spiritual toxicity from your soul. Which do you choose? 34519. If you want to SMS your thoughts on that, you can WhatsApp 0618951019. You can even call 0101403020. Or you could tweet at Chaifem or you could tweet at Rabbi Shish. I think there could be many different ideas around that particular one. So when we were in Yeshiva, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, and there was always this talk of Teshuva, so there was a strange comment that sometimes came up. Well, at least it felt strange when I first heard it, but then when you think about it, maybe it's not so strange. And that's the comment that compares the Teshuva process to what happens, if you'll excuse the metaphor, if a person happened to be sitting in a park on a park bench and the next thing a pigeon decides to send you a gift. And it's certainly not the kind of gift you would have asked for. So what do you do? Do you continue to sit there on the bench saying, woe is me. I can't believe this happened. They should kill all pigeons. What disgusting creatures they are. They're flying rats anyway. Who needs? They carry disease. They just plop down their waste matter on everything. I'm not a statue. You can keep going. And I suppose there are people who would do that. Probably most of us. 
would do something like that. That bleeping pigeon. And then all the anger and all the focus and all the energy is directed towards the pigeon. But the fact is, my shoulder's still dirty. So I could scream at this pigeon and I could scream at everybody around and all the animal rights activists and whatever, but my shoulder's still dirty. So they used to say in yeshiva that teshiva is when you realize you've got to get up and you've actually got to clean the schmutz off your shoulder, which means to say, don't get so fixated on the what happened. There's a place for that. There's a time for that. It should get its little spot. But your primary focus should be on how do I clean this mess? Not the mess that somebody else has to clean. Because if I'm not that person who should be fixing this particular story, well, then leave it to the powers that be. Give them a chance. See that they can fix it up. See that they can do what they need to do. And and that's that. But how do I fix the, the stain on my shoulder? How do I fix the spiritual toxicity that's inside my soul? That's a question. That's a question that I think we all should be asking right now. If we really are that concerned about what happened and we really are that concerned that we landed up with non-kosher food on our plates and we ate that stuff with all good intentions, then we need to be absolutely concerned. So what am I going to do that I am spiritually a step better? Spiritually, if I can use that word cleansed, I don't like the word because it has all kinds of implications, makes it sound like some kind of exorcism, but you get the idea. Uh, WhatsApp over here, unsigned WhatsApp says, if someone is told to eat non-kosher or get killed, are you saying that by eating it, they would have to do teshuva? That's an excellent, excellent question. WhatsApp continues, for Ones accident, one does not have to do teshuva. For Shogak, you do. The Rambam brings it. Um, on the other hand, I'm not sure where the Rambam says that you don't do Teshuvah for Ones. I don't know. If, I'd love to have a, a reference on that. That'd be great. On the other hand, there's a gem in Chulin 7a. Pinchas Ben Yair, animals, uh, Pinchas Ben Yair's donkey would not eat something that was not taken from Misa, correct? And we learned that not even the animals of a tzaddik would eat kosher. Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you something else interesting. Just I don't know if everybody followed all of that. So let me just summarize that WhatsApp. Excellent question. If a person is forced and given the choice, eat non-kosher or you will be killed, do they have to do teshuva for eating non-kosher? Great question. Come to that in a second. Uh, the second point was that for an accidental sin, one does not have to do teshuva. Not sure that everybody agrees with that. Um and then the third point was that even great people, the Talmud tells us, even their animals would not eat non-kosher instinctively, which reminds me of, a, of an incredible comment where there's a verse that says, Lo kol ovin, which, oven, which means that a, a righteous person is protected from sin. In fact, uh, we were studying a, a piece of Talmud last night at Shul, and it says over there that if a person gets through most of their life without sinning, God will protect them for the rest of their life not to sin. Meaning to say that there is a concept that Hashem protects us when we try our best because nobody is perfect. So when we try our best, then God protects us along the way. So so really, really interesting information over there. And um, I'd love to hear if there's a source for the concept of not having to do Teshuvah expre- expressly, not having to do Teshuvah for an accident. But when it's that story of um, 
eat kosher to protect your life, then you have to realize that the, the mitzvah then is to eat the non-kosher. In other words, under ordinary circumstances, when a person eats non-kosher, no matter how inadvertent, inadvertent it is, you, you, you can't call it a mitzvah. You just simply can't. You can't say that there's something positive about it because it isn't. Whereas if a person is instructed by the Torah that in this particular circumstance, you have to rather eat non-kosher in order to protect your life, that then becomes the mitzvah. There's no need to do teshiva over it because that was the mitzvah in that context. Great, great insight and information coming through. Keep it coming. This is, this is really interesting stuff. We've got another SMS here, which is also unsigned, says, I think a person can only control what comes out of his mouth, whereas what goes in, he can only control to a certain extent. Brilliant point. Brilliant point. I mean, unless you prepare all your own meals, starting from from the actual slaughter of the of the animal or the chicken, then you're probably right. You can't control it. I mean, at the end of the day, we're at other people's mercies, and the Torah makes provision for that. The Torah says that you're allowed to rely aid echad neman and You're allowed to rely on a single individual who, of course, shows trustworthiness. That's why a mashkiach is one individual. And and maybe they'll make mistakes. The Torah makes allowance for that. So, yes, you're absolutely right. You can you cannot necessarily control what goes into your mouth, but you absolutely can control what comes out of your mouth. And that's an incredible responsibility that we have. Brilliant SMS. Love that. Uh, here's a WhatsApp from Ariel who says, I find it quite a revelation that as this kosher debacle has emerged, suddenly bad Polonies and Viennas are in the spotlight as well. So much other people are dying. Lesson in watch what you make part of your body. Let's hope that we all take heed to this cleansing. That's that's a very interesting point. A very powerful point, actually. Uh, nothing happens by chance. So how's that? That's quite an observation, hey? That at the same time that we're all reeling over a, a kosher scandal, there's this massive food production scandal that's happening alongside it and I, I love your point that it teaches you what becomes part of your body affects you in a very profound way great great this is this is the stuff that fresh thinking is made of some really interesting insights coming through keep them coming uh, i'm still looking if anybody's got suggestions so what do you do how do you clean the stain it wasn't your fault but the fact is the poison got into your system spiritual poison obviously now what what do you do? Do you run around saying, that bad person? Or is there something that you can do that's meaningful, that is uplifting, that is cleansing? 34519, let's keep those SMSs coming. 0618951019 if you'd like to WhatsApp. Otherwise, tweet at Chaifem or at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so uh, so now what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Um, I think it's uh, it's it's important for us to just take a moment and be introspective. Uh, as I've said right from the beginning of uh, of today's show, it's easy it's easy bait for us to get involved in all that mud slinging about this person did that wrong and that organization did this wrong, and we feel self righteous and we feel maybe a little bit satisfied by having been able to vent. But the real work is. So now what? And uh, I know that there's, there's a bit of a WhatsApp debate developing over here, and we're not going to have, unfortunately, we're not going to have the time to, to flesh it all out about whether or not you need to do teshuva for, uh, for one type of food and a different type of food that wasn't kosher. It's a fascinating conversation, really is, and it deserves treatment of its own. 
But one thing we can all agree upon, no, without getting into the nuances, and that is that as a community, let's not even talk as individuals, as a community, there should be a sense of feeling we need to do to shiver. You know, if there's something that's touched us all, much in the same way as God forbid, if there was a human tragedy that happened in the community, we'd all get together and we'd say, we need to do something. We need to daven, we need to fast, we need to add in a particular mitzvah or something like that. We probably should have a similar kind of a response. Not probably. I believe we should have a similar kind of response here. So the, the, the logic is quite simple. The logic is that if there's a particular area where we've had a breach, where we've had a failure, then the teshuva, whether the teshuva means, because I, I can see that some people are very uncomfortable with my suggestion that you have to do teshuva over an inadvertence, and even though it's brought that way in quite a number of Torah sources. But the teshuva is, is not about clapping my chest and saying, oh, I was terrible. I think that's where we get stuck. People think that teshuva means admit, admission of guilt and then uh, some kind of a cleansing of the guilt. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if there's, if there's a, a particular failure in a particular area, so there's a, there's a beautiful metaphor that's brought in, in Jewish spirituality. And the metaphor goes like this. We and God are linked by what's called the cord, the rope of both the soul on the one hand and the mitzvahs on the other. So if you could imagine that there's this rope that is comprised of 613 threads. And that's what binds us to God. So if one mitzvah is in some way corrupted, that means one thread of that rope has been either weakened or maybe even severed. Now, could you imagine if you've got a string or you've got a rope and it breaks, then what you've got to do is you've got to go and tie the rope at the point where it split. Now, the funny thing is, that that point within the rope, the point where the break happened, will going forward now actually be stronger than the rest of the rope because that's now where, where there's a knot. So the notion of teshuva is not a notion of saying, I need to sweat over the fact that I did something wrong and I have to feel guilt. I know Jews like to invite guilt for whatever reason it is. It's more about I need to create some kind of fortification of that area where the breach happened. It's exactly as we would do, for example, in home security. So if somebody had a breach in their home, if somebody had a break-in, you'd go and say, well, what was the weakness in that part of the house that they were able to break in through that part of the house? Let me secure that part of the house. If, if we as a community, if we feel that our kosher standard has been assaulted, then the response should be, well, we're going to work on that kosher standard. And the letter that just came from the Beth Din a little bit earlier today said exactly that. We're going to upgrade our systems. But it's not for us to just lean on the Beth Din and say, well, you fix your systems and then we'll all live happily ever after. We've got to look at ourselves and say, maybe this is a bit of a wake-up call for me to improve in my own kosher standards. Uh, recently, a, a local rabbi who I respect tremendously showed us a letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe from 1958. And I believe that this theme was repeated a number of times in different letters that he had written. And it was specifically to somebody who had inadvertently landed up eating non-kosher food. And the person was, was very upset about it, as you can well imagine. So the response that the Rebbe wrote to him was, in the same area where you feel that this breach or this failure happened, that is the same area where you've got to work on improving yourself. And I think that that's something that should talk to all of us right now. We, we 
all try our best. I mean, none of us is perfect. We do our best. Each of us has our standard of kashrut, and that's fine. But when something like this happens and it's so in your face, and we then walk away without the awareness that maybe I should look at my own, like audit my own kosher standards. Maybe I've slipped a little bit over time. Maybe there are certain areas that I never took on in the first place. I'm absolutely certain every one of us with a bit of introspection could say, you know what, here's an area that I could brush up on. That would be the most appropriate uh, most appropriate response, first of all. And second of all, and maybe even more importantly in a sense, be the most appropriate way to direct all this energy that we have. Because there's a lot of energy right now, and a lot of it is being pumped out into conversation, malicious conversation, some of it. A lot of it is being pumped out into spreading the, you know, the, the, the latest update, whether it be true or not. If we could direct that energy in saying, so I'm going to go tomorrow and I'm going to take a book on Kashrut, and I'm going to learn something about keeping kosher that I, I never knew before. Or I'm going to say, you know what? I was always lax in a particular area. And we've all got that area. We've all got the areas where we say, this is me, non-negotiable, 100%. And we all know it. We know that there are times where a person might say, under these circumstances. I was talking to somebody earlier this week and they were saying that uh, they had been asked the question, if you were in, a, in an airport overseas and you were absolutely starving and there was nothing kosher to eat, would you buckle and have a salad? Now, that's not a judgment question. It's an introspection question because I think we all do have that area of flexibility. We'll say, well, under those circumstances, maybe when I'm on holiday, I behave differently because the food offerings are different. Or maybe I don't pay so much attention to what's going on in my kitchen because at the end of the day, I'm not producing my own meals. I have somebody who I employ to produce my meals for me. So maybe I don't look over the shoulder enough just to be sure that everything is by the book. Or maybe I had a little bit of a mix-up in my kitchen not so long ago, and I figured instead of asking the rabbi how I should deal with it, I figured, you know, I've, I've done this before. It's happened to me enough times, and I'll, I just drew my own conclusions, and so on, and so on, and so on. There's no question about it. Every single one of us, if we're honest and if we're introspective, could certainly find something that either needs brush-up, either needs a little bit more information. I should learn a little bit more. Or it just simply needs more attention because I've kind of become a bit lax. And there's there's no question that that would be a really healthy response. We'd all come out enriched from that. We'd all come out with a greater dedication to a concept that we believe in, to what we attribute to being a fundamental part of our Judaism. So rather than just to let this be the story of the week, and by next week something else will emerge, and we'll talk about that instead, and there'll be a tarnished name in the community, but it's fine because we have other caterers we could use. Let's think. Let's just think. I'm sure, I'm sure, absolutely sure that every single one of us could do something to be just a little better at keeping kosher. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, here we are sitting, I suppose, a week down the line with information trickling out about a story that really shook us all up in terms of uh, what we believe, in terms of uh, what we would like to trust, 
and in terms of the food that goes into our system. You know that cliche about being what you eat, you are what you eat. Well, we take that quite seriously as Jewish people. Not that you become necessarily what you eat, but it deeply, deeply affects you, even if you didn't recognize that it was happening, even if it was completely inadvertent. And so never, ever is it worth our while to stand back and say, I have nothing to do to fix, to uh, improve. It's always worthwhile to challenge ourselves and say, well, what could I do better? How could I use this opportunity? Big story, rattling the community. How could I use this as an opportunity for me to become one notch better? We had a guy in our community who always used to say that, take it up a notch. And that's what we should be doing. We should be taking it up a notch. And, and I, I, I think it's a great challenge to throw out there. And you, you're welcome to send in messages if you choose to, to give suggestions. But I do think a, a little self-audit about our own kosher standards would be very healthy. I also think a little bit of study. You know, many of us went to yeshiva. Many of us learned straight out of the texts what exactly is kosher, isn't kosher, how you deal with mistakes. And for a lot of us, that was many years ago. A lot of people didn't even have that opportunity or that luxury. And so anything that they know about kashrut is what they've read in a book, on a website, been to a shiur. The bottom line is that the nature of people is we we forget, we fudge, we uh, blur things. And it's a good practice every once in a while just to say, you know what, there's some really important things about keeping kosher that maybe I should review. For example, review the idea of having a kosher kitchen in your own home where you're not necessarily the person who's cooking or who's handling the food. So are you clear on all the things that that could entail? What kind of checks and balances you have to keep in place to ensure that your kitchen is kosher? Or how do I trust food when I'm not in my home environment? That would be a good one to to explore. How do I know if I'm away? What kind of things can I, can't I eat? People very often say, I'm just going to go for fruit and vegetables. Well, we know that in different regions, different fruit and vegetables produce the potential for different kinds of infestation of insects. So we've got to know what we're talking about. Education, it's a, I think, would be a really, really good response. Just to add in our education, there's no person on the face of the planet who can say, I've learned everything that there is to know about keeping kosher. Just as there's nobody on the face of the planet who can say, I've learned everything that there is to know about any facet of Judaism. That's what's so beautiful about the Torah. It's deep beyond our reach. We're not going to exhaust it. Don't worry about reaching the end of the book and somebody giving you a spoiler. It's not going to happen. There's always more to learn. There's always more that we could be dedicated to. And and let's hope. Let's hope and let's... um, Let's pray that our dedication, that our commitment, as I mentioned earlier, there's that saying in the Talmud, if you've gone through most of your life without sinning, chances are that God will protect you going forward. I think it's fair to say also the Talmud uses a beautiful expression. Somebody who looks to bring purity to their life, God will assist them in achieving it. And so if we take a a view that we're going to look to bring more purity to our lives, please God, God will assist us as individuals and as a community, and we won't have to talk about or worry about these kinds of things in the future. So food for thought, I hope, or thought for food in this case. And uh, meanwhile, let's all think about it. Let's try to do something about it. Let's try kill some of that horrible verbal stuff that's flying around. And I wish you a good Shabbos. Till next week.